0: are listening to Spot On, a health and wellness podcast that breaks through the latest media headlines to provide you with accurate and usable information that is, well, spot on, spot on to meet your needs. I am your host, Dr. Joan Salji Blake, a nutrition professor at Boston University and the author of the college textbook called Nutrition and You, which is used in colleges across the United States and abroad. Hello, spot-on listeners. Boy, this is really, really an exciting episode. Despite the stereotype that eating disorders only occurs in women, in the United States alone, eating disorders will affect 10 million males at some point in their lives. This is the reason why I'm having this episode because I was blown away by that. And you know, we know that athletes are oftentimes two if not three times more at risk for eating disorder compared with other populations. Here's another startling statistic about one in every three people who struggle with eating disorder is male. So when you put the two together, a male and an athlete, oh my goodness gracious, you can see where problems could occur and this is what this episode is all about We are going to talk about this and set the record straight. So today with me, I am so excited to have David Proctor. He was a collegiate athlete for over a decade ago, and he has lived through and recovered from disordered eating. David became the first collegiate athlete in New England to run a sub four-minute mile. I can't even imagine. it's like a bunny rabbit going. At that time, that placed him like number 11 in the overall world rankings at the time. I mean, that is just Speedy Gonzalez. He is calling in long distance, and I am not paying for this call, from Manchester, England, where he's currently training for his fifth, not fourth, but fifth consecutive Olympic trials in 2020. So with that, I want to first welcome David. Hello. Thank you for having me. And I have with me Dr. Paul Quattrimoni. She's a registered dietitian, nutrition researcher, and professor at Boston University. She has an Expertise in eating disorders and sports nutrition, and she founded the university's sports nutrition program for student athletes just like david and that name quatrimony might sound familiar and you're right because she was on in the second season of spot on and she was talking about clean eating and i have to tell you that has been one of the most popular episodes that we ever had on spot on so there's a lot of great topic about that i want to also welcome dr Paula. hi thanks for having me also I'm so excited to have you both on. And I want to tell you something. This is the first time I've ever done two guests at one time. So I have to tell you, I'm a little nervous. All right. So I want to start with you, David, because you are the star. My goodness gracious. So like when you were a toddler, were you like running around the block doing wind sprints? I mean, were you always running?
1: My mom was actually a runner when she was younger and she was uh, she was quite good herself. Actually, she was a sprinter. And really my, my whole journey with the sport began way back in 96. I think when uh, the, the Olympics were being held in Atlanta over in the States. And I remember watching one of the, the athletes that won medals there, Michael Johnson, you know, his uh, 200 meter world record in the final. I remember watching his race and he was running so fast down the home straight that I remember thinking to myself, you know, why is he not taking off? When planes run this fast, they take off and they fly. So why is he not flying? And my infatuation with running and going fast and just being fast was was started right there and it's never stopped.
0: You know, David, I remember watching him and you're right. Wow. That, that man can run. I mean, that I I actually remember you brought that back there. So really, you know, Leaf doesn't fall too far from the tree, so your mother is a athletic, and she ran, so that yeah, you got the bug in you, and you just had this dream then. You're saying, wow, I'm going to go to the Olympics, and so you came to college. Did you get an athletic scholarship, or where did that all come about?
1: Yeah, so I was one of the lucky ones, and I was awarded full scholarship at Boston University to come and compete for the team, um, and I guess that came off the back of a, a really good couple of years that I had towards the end of my high school career where I was UK national champion. I was number one in the country. So I'm, I like to think that I had some credentials that, that Boston University liked the sound of. So I was I was offered full scholarship and I never looked back.
0: I didn't know that. Wow, well. we do have a celebrity here. Wow, <laughs> oh, that's great. But you know, with, with a full scholarship probably comes like some Pressures, right? So, yeah, tell us about. I mean, because you've been well known for running and everything, but you know, you're the superstar. So, tell us about that.
1: I was very aware right from the very start that I'd been brought in from a foreign country to come and compete for the team. So, that pressure was instantly on there. And like I said, it was full scholarship. So, I was also aware of the fact that if I was to stay on the team for four years, which was my intention then I would have been taking somewhere in the region of 200, $250,000 from the team to be you know, on full scholarship. So that that's just an added pressure on there. And then having been brought in as a national champion and been expected to compete for the team and, and run as fast as I could, you don't go into that thinking that you can't be good. You have to be doing well. You have to perform well when you're in that situation. You can't have someone invest that much time, effort, money into you to not do it, to not succeed.
0: That's a lot of pressure, David. That is, that is a lot of pressure. I and mean, when, you, when you say it like that, you're right. I can And then, you know, you you put that pressure on yourself. Uh, but, you know, you're saying, wow, they're investing in this all. So I can see how that could be really, really a big focus and a big stressor. So what happened when you started, you know, running for the team?
1: Um, so, you know, like I said, I, I'm trying to build up my training and I'd never been training at that level before. I've been very lucky to be very athletically gifted and be able to compete without having to do too much training. So you know there was a physical stress to that, which was causing a lot of, of worry in my head that I wasn't going to be capable of doing what I was asked to do. I had my family pressures because obviously everyone was looking at me and saying, he's gone off to do this American dream and be an, an athlete, he's going to go to the Olympics and he's going to do well. And I had that in the back of my mind all the time, just everything I did. And I came from a family as well, where I had a mom that would really look after me. She did everything for me, right down to doing all my cleaning and cooking my meals for me. So I'd never had really any of my own experience in making my own meals and making my own nutritional choices. And I think when I got to college, having been a freshman and I was suddenly surrounded by delicious things in the dining hall and teammates that like to eat and like to eat often, I kind of got swept up in that. And I ended up kind of, I guess they call it the freshman 15. And I did kind of get in into that situation where, Having not paid any attention to my nutritional choices, I was ending up gaining a bit of weight in comparison to where I was when I first came onto the team.
0: So you gained a little weight and did that affect your ability to run or what what happened?
1: It wasn't noticeable to me at the time because like I said, it was kind of within the first few months or the first six months of being there anyway, I was just trying to build my own fitness and get myself into shape to compete alongside the guys that were already there, established members of the team. But it was something that was noticed by my coach. Now, let me just say my coach was an incredible man and I absolutely love him and I don't hold anything against him because I think he's one of the most brilliant men I've ever met. I think, you know, his comments, and I'll get to that in a second, just came down to a genuine concern for me as a dedicated athlete. And he basically came to me one day before the start of a training session. I guess he he didn't intend to do it in front of everyone, but everyone was present. And he kind of put his arm around me and pat me on the belly and said, wow, that freshman 15 is looking good on you. So instantly at that point, think of me as being under so much pressure to perform for myself. And I wanted to be the very best I could be. That was the very first time that I'd felt like someone was telling me I was failing. And that really hit me and really did hit me hard. And that was Something then that I really, really struggled to, to kind of wrap my head around.
0: I could see how that can affect you as an athlete. I mean, here you are, you know, you want to be, you know, physically active and, and able to run faster. So to me, the interpretation that you had the freshman 15 meant to you, what did that translate to you that he was saying?
1: You're not doing your job as an athlete on this team and you're a failure.
0: And so, wow, that
1: is a mouthful.
0: <laughs> and so what, what happened? What, you know, What did you do after
1: that? Literally stopped eating.
0: Oh my god!
1: yeah. And I look back on it now and every time I tell this story, I cringe about it because it was probably not the most sensible thing to do. I can feel Paula cringing as well. But you know, when you come in and you've got that much pressure on yourself and you're trying to perform at your very best and do your best for the team. And then the one person that's on that team that you really are looking for approval from your coach to then come and tell you, you know, you're gaining weight. You're not going to run fast. If you keep gaining weight, you need to lose weight. You're, you're failing this team. You're failing your responsibilities as an athlete that was a lot to take. So my instant reaction to that was, okay, get the weight off. How do we get the weight off? Because I'm, I'm training, my training isn't going to change. We've got you know, a set training schedule, so nothing's going to change there. The only other thing available to me is lose weight through not eating. And it, you know that just seemed to be an instant change in my mind. And I was so committed to doing it. I, want, I didn't want to be a failure for the team and I wanted my coach's approval. I literally stopped eating. And I think over the next I want to say two weeks, I think I dropped about 25 pounds. So it was, uh, yeah, I I was not very energetic by the end of that, put it that way.
0: (laughs) So after you lost all that weight, did that affect your ability to run? Was your timing off? Were you slower when you lost all that weight? Do
1: you know, honestly, I think actually, to begin with anyway, kind of made an improvement. And my, my coach was impressed with what I was doing and he was happy with me. And we kind of had another conversation a few weeks later where he said, yep, you're looking much better now. You're back on track again. So there's some positive feedback for me to begin with. Yes. You know, you lose a bit of weight and you start to run a bit faster, but when you don't eat that length of time consistently, your energy levels just generally drop. And my motivation was dropping. I didn't really want to go to school. I didn't want to go to my classes. So it, it wasn't even just my running that was starting to suffer. Eventually it was everything.
0: Right that's the interesting part about it. initially you did get better so it was like oh wait a minute maybe i'm onto something but then eventually it's a like, whoa 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 at what point did you like get to the point where like okay i can't continue
1: to do this what happened so initially when you start doing this and i'm thinking you know this is something that i have to do as a dedicated athlete like if i want to be the best i have to weigh the right amount i have to get myself to a weight that is that is good enough So I kind of proceeded down that road and I was doing that. And like you say, all this positive feedback, my coach saying, well done, you're looking good. You're doing the the right thing. You're you're losing weight. You're nice and lean. You're going to run nice and fast. Then you start getting positive feedback from all your friends and your family as well. Because when they look at you and they haven't seen you for a few days or a few weeks and they say wow, you're looking really trim. You're looking really good. You've got, you know, your muscles are popping out of your skin. You look really good, really fit, really healthy. That is also then extra positive feedback that's outside of the athletics. Cause I don't, I don't you know, it doesn't really matter to me what I look like at this point. But if people are giving me that positive feedback, then I'm going to take it on board and say, yeah, this is the right thing to do. So I continued doing that, continued with that behavior and ended up seeing out the the rest of that semester and going home for Christmas break. You know, my training at this point was building up and building up. And I remember Christmas day, just thinking to myself, you know what, it's Christmas, this is what we do at home. I'm just gonna eat as much as I like. And I did and I indulged and it was fantastic and I loved it. The two and three days after that, I decided that I'd really let myself go on Christmas. So I had to kind of make up for it and catch up the calories that I'd gained and I had to purge them. I didn't eat the thing then for two days, two days straight. And then on the third day, based on the training schedule that I had, I had a, a really long run to do. I think it was something like 15 or 16 miles that I needed to do on, on day three after Christmas. And I got about... 20, 25 minutes into that run. And I don't remember what happened from there because I ended up passed up out at the side of the road. And I remember waking up with an ambulance near me and two or three cars around me because I'd literally been running down the street and people had seen me just fall down. I I'd, I'd passed out and blacked out and I woke up, remember it. All I can remember, first of all, is the pain in my knee because I landed on my knee, but also just how tired I was and how I just wanted to sleep. I was just exhausted. And it just, it was one of the worst feelings that I I can remember just because, you know, I I remember thinking that if you get to this state, you're in trouble. You have not got control of this anymore. And it is running your life because if you're letting yourself starve for two days and then trying to run 16 miles on a third day after that, you're not in control of this anymore and you need help.
0: Dr. Paula. Yes. I'm bringing you right in at at the key point here. Dr. Paula, tell us what went wrong. What happened to David?
2: Well, that honeymoon period that he talked about where, you know, you're sort of feeling superhuman, like you've got everything under control with this dieting and restriction and losing weight. And you do start to see your performance take off in the direction that you hope for. It doesn't last for very long. And ultimately, there's a crash and burn part that comes because what often is entered into as the secret for success very quickly becomes sabotage. And that's what happened to David. And your body can only function without the proper fuel for so long. So he was in the situation of energy deficiency. It's a syndrome we now know is called relative energy deficiency in sport which was only published in 2014. So we didn't even know about this back in 2004 when David was a freshman at Boston University. And most of the thinking about eating disorders and eating disorders in athletes was all towards female athletes in this condition called the female athlete triad. So most people were not looking for this in male athletes, and it wasn't on many people's radar screens, certainly not coaches, certainly not athletes. And so, you know, you go from really thinking you're this invincible, strong athlete who's at the top of their game and they're doing everything committed to their training. But if you don't have the nutritional foundation and all of those pieces in place, what David just described is what happens like your body starts to shut down and it's going to fail on you. And so all of what David experienced and, you know, the passing out was a facet of that chronic energy deficiency of a situation where he was overtraining and underfueling over a period of months. The good part of the story was that David and I actually met in early October of his freshman year, because I was brought in to give a lecture to the entire cross country and track team. And so quickly, he realized that I was someone that he could learn something from about nutrition, even though he really wanted to learn how to control his diet and restrict it even more. You know, it was a wonderful connection that we made in that venue because we started to work together one on one for individual consultation. And so Between that time of October and then that incident David just described at Christmas time, he was experimenting a lot because he had had that earlier experience in the interaction with his coach. He was on his weight loss trajectory. He was very restrictive with his eating and he was starting to work with me to learn more about nutrition. But, you know, that doesn't happen overnight and athletes tend to really experiment to see how close to that line can I get. Where I'm starting to do a little bit of what the nutritionist tells me, but I'm also really driven by this weight loss goal and, you know, by getting, focusing on that number on the scale, that they're dancing very precariously. And, Unfortunately, it takes an episode of what David described happening to him or other chronic injuries like repeated stress fractures that athletes tend to have. And that's a sign that their bone quality is being compromised from this malnutrition. And so that's the scary part is that most of the disordered eating consequences we can't see with the naked eye. And those that we can see, like weight loss, are oftentimes praised and rewarded, and that spurns the behavior to go on further and further. But the physiologic damage that's happening to the body that happened to cause David to pass out, you know, his blood pressure and his electrolyte imbalance and all the things that malnutrition was doing to his body and to his brain, that's what causes these scary episodes and these bad outcomes that can actually sabotage the athlete's performance and can really sideline them with injuries. And it's really unfortunate that so many athletes get to that point before there's any attention drawn to the risky behaviors around food restriction and overtraining. That is what, you know, leads them to that point where their body starts to shut down and break down.
0: This is a reason why we had David and we have Dr. Paula on here because David experienced this. It was not fun. And let's help somebody else to avoid this. And David, that must have been frightening for you also, or maybe uncomfortable to meet with Dr. Paula. And she's saying to you, okay, you got to eat more meat more healthy. And you're like, but I want to be lean. I want to run fast. That must have been horrific.
1: Yeah. And I mean, when Paula and I first started getting together and talking about this, she, to me, was my magic bullet because I was looking for someone that would kind of give me the information that I needed to arm myself and do this correctly. Because what I was trying to do was lose weight, as much weight as physically possible, whilst also staying strong and healthy. Now I know that those two things cannot possibly go together But Paula was that magic bullet for me because she would know, you know, she would know how to do this. She would know how to get my weight as low as possible and she'd keep me strong and she'd take every step that I would need to. In the initial stages, it's difficult then to trust someone because she wasn't saying what I wanted to hear. And what I wanted to hear was, yeah, do this, do this, eat this, don't eat that, and you'll run a world record. And it wasn't the case. It was kind of, you know, this weight loss that you're trying to do is, is ultimately not going to be a good thing. And, and when she's not giving you the answers you want, it slowly takes some time to trust. But after this episode, and I realized wow, Paula's actually telling me the truth. Maybe she does have my best interests at heart. Maybe she does care. Maybe she will help me as long as I listen to what she's actually saying. And that's really where it evolved from there. Instead of being someone that I was trying to use to get what I wanted, Paula then became someone that I trusted with absolutely everything she said. And even though it was difficult for me to take the steps that she was recommending, we also worked on ways that I could take those comments on board and try and step by step, slowly anyway, do the right things about about my weight instead of trying to just lose it all.
0: You know, you you said something, you repeated yourself twice in what you just said, the word trust. Mm -hmm. And that's, to me, sounds like the key. Like you trusted her, her advice, her expertise. And, you know, sports nutrition, sports dietitian, that's a challenging field. We've done an episode on what to eat before, during, and after you work out, which is really fabulous. But this level is a whole nother level, Dr. Paula, because it's not just sports nutrition, but we also have the eating disorder going on top of it.
2: Right. And the eating disorder doesn't want to trust anyone. It wants to isolate the individual and push away. That's why eating disorders are so toxic to relationships, whether it's with a parent or a partner or a roommate or teammates, because it wants to isolate you. And so trust is sort of the antithesis, which is why it's so crucial to the treatment, because... David and I went on to work together for the entire six years. He was at Boston University. We still working together to this day and, you know, are spreading the word. And that has grown from that trusting relationship because he did put his trust in me. And he went on to prove to himself that he could trust his own body because he couldn't do that in the beginning. He thought his body was failing him and that he had to control and punish his body, for example, if he were indulgent by eating lunch, for example, like he had to punish his body for that. And he didn't trust that his body knew how to regulate that in the face of how much mileage he was doing and how much food it really needed. That's why one of my biggest soapboxes these days is why every athletics department and any collegiate or university program must have a registered dietitian in it. Because if I wasn't there with my door open for David to walk through initially, but also my biggest job was to get him to come back every week and I needed to be there with my door open to go the distance with him because that kind of trusting relationship doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't even happen over a period of months. It happens over a much longer period of time. And that's why we need dietitians there accessible to the athletes, not somebody who comes in once a while and gives a lecture and is gone. Because anybody can pick up a sports nutrition textbook and read, you know, oh, I should eat this and I should eat that. But the real life obstacles and barriers and the mindset that athletes have that doesn't allow them to implement that information. That's the work that the dietitian really needs to do with the athlete. Remember how I
0: started this whole episode, I said that David became the first collegiate athlete to run a sub four minute mile. So that came after being with Paula. That's right. That was in his junior year. That's right. So really, David... It's all about Paula, isn't it?
1: Right. It's all about Paula, yeah, it always has been.
0: (laughs) Yes, this is where I was going with this episode.
2: Okay, (laughs) so really, and that's an important point. Let me point this out, Joan, because the exciting part about David running that sub four minute mile, like it was epic, right? And that is so exciting. But the part that I brag about, and I always like to have David remind people of is that he achieved that at a weight that was 15 pounds higher than the target weight he had in his mind, that he thought he needed to be to be the best runner so 15 pounds restored and he achieved that epic achievement and i say to him david do you think you could have achieved that at that low weight that you were struggling so hard to get to at his height of david what are you six one six two right okay could you have done it at that low weight and your answer david
1: is absolutely not and let me just say as well i think it's actually 25 pounds not 15. <laughs> uh, it, what also is interesting is that i weighed more at the four minute mile than i did the day that the, my coach packed me on the belly wow and i remember Reminded him of that afterwards as well. So, I mean, what I was doing with myself when I was losing that weight was basically killing all strength. Because you're just weak every day. You know, you wake up, you don't eat breakfast, you don't eat lunch, and then you try to go to training and you try to race. It's just weak. You're just poor performance. When I learned how to fuel myself correctly and do the right things at the right time for the day and the time of the race, there were periods in that race where I would just feel completely invincible. And that's a word that I've really clung on to ever since then, really, because when I do fuel myself, I do feel invincible sometimes and I can just run and I can run for days and I can do incredible things. And that mile was really just the, the culmination of that for me, where I felt fueled and strong and powerful and I was invincible on that day.
0: And you know, that power of diet and a healthy lifestyle and healthy habits and trust. Dr. Paula Tell us, men and eating disorder. that statistic I started with, you know, 10 million males. Like what? Like I'm scratching my head on that. Obviously, that doesn't shock you, but it shocks me. What's yeah. that all about?
2: Yeah, and the rates in males are climbing. And the truth is, is that there's a whole lot of undetected, undiagnosed and untreated eating disorders in the general population, but also in males, because there are so many barriers. And there's a lot of stigma associated with eating disorders that cause men to you know, suffer in silence. A lot of people don't know that athletes get eating disorders. And a lot of people don't know that males get eating disorders. And I've even heard coaches say, Oh, well, I coach male athletes, I don't need to worry about eating disorders. <laughs> and yes, you do. And so there's a lot of misperceptions is very low awareness is very low amounts of education and public education about this. And so when males start to experience some of these signs and symptoms, they don't know that it's an eating disorder. Or even if you were to Google it and you look up eating disorders and it starts talking about, you know, a loss of a menstrual cycle, well, that doesn't apply to a male, right? And so... People think, well, that's not what I have. Then there's this whole layer of what's in the sport environment that was a culture that can condone a lot of these behaviors and reward these behaviors because it's the characteristics of a disciplined athlete, someone who is clean eating and someone who is training or maybe overtraining and someone who's got their body fat on the decline and someone who is achieving certain weight goals, sometimes very random weight goals arbitrarily set by a coach that are not based on science or health. And so, you know, people get very caught up in the numbers and in monitoring these things. And then there's this whole culture of social media in comparisons and what somebody else is posting online for what they ate for lunch or what their workout was in the gym. And then there's this, you know, this sort of drive and competition to, well, if you're going to do 10 reps, then I'm going to do 20 reps. And so this kind of culture inside sport and inside male sport that drives whether people are trying to pursue a very thin ideal, as in the case of a distance runner, or maybe a swimmer or diver, or a very muscular ideal, say for a football player or lacrosse player, there's really no sport that's immune. And here, you know, we're talking about David as a collegiate track athlete, but athletes in all sports experience versions of disordered eating and eating disorders. And so I also want to make sure that that message gets out there that this is not just about runners or wrestlers or crew, because it's very weight based that people tend to have A little bit more maybe awareness to have their radar up for that. But in general, especially with males and male athletes, a lot of the disordered signs and symptoms fly under the radar screen and sometimes are really endorsed and condoned in the sport culture. And that's the part that can get really challenging, like even the overemphasis and focusing on weight and a number on the scale, like that doesn't tell the athlete that they're gaining muscle mass. When David came to BU, he was running more miles than he ever did. Of course the scale's gonna go up because he's adding muscle to his frame. That's why even being able to work with sports medicine professionals that are willing to do a body composition assessment. And you know, that was another very validating piece to show David that yes, the number on the scale is going up, but your percent body fat is so extremely low that you can't afford to lose another ounce of body fat because at that point, your hormones and your testosterone are gonna take a hit. And that means a guy is gonna lose his sexual function. And those are bad consequences that nobody wants to see happening. But most people don't understand that, that just because a male doesn't have amenorrhea, it doesn't mean he doesn't have hormonal challenges that result from malnutrition that are gonna be of serious concern. David, what year was this when you were at the
0: university? Uh, 2004 to 2009. Yeah. Now, many colleges, in fact, pro athletes have a registered dietitian, nutritionist, sports nutritionist on their team just for this reason, because they've learned about this, that, you know, if you want to be a Ferrari, you got to put good gasoline in the tank there. So poor David had to pave the way for us to get here, and luckily he met Paula, but I think with all the research on this, you know, people are really trying to, are understanding this. And, you know, I think about that David thank goodness you ran into bowling not only in your collegiate years but look at you you're still
1: running you're still training right for the Olympics I'm doing my best yeah I'm a little bit older now so not quite as well but yeah I'm still doing it still trying listen I smell gold honey that's what I smell (laughs) I hope you're right that'd be great
0: uh, Dr. Paula, so if you feel somebody that's listening to this and feels that, gee, you know, this is sounding familiar, I'm like, what do they do? Who could they, where can they seek out a sports registered dietitian to help them become another David?
2: Yeah, certainly if you're a collegiate athlete, you want to see if there is a registered dietitian in your athletics department. I'm sure that if there are, you will know about that person because they're out there doing great work. Also, you can turn to someone in sports medicine, like a sports medicine doctor or an athletic trainer. You know, we're trying to educate coaches and strengthen and conditioning coaches so that they also know that it's their responsibility to build relationships with dietitians in the community. So if there's not a dietitian on your campus or inside athletics, there might be one in private practice in the local area or at the local hospital. Or if you happen to be at a place like Boston University where we have a nutrition program and there are grad students who want to get involved working with athletics. So through fueling stations and whatnot, see what's available on your campus. Reaching out also to mental health, there might sometimes in athletics they have sports psychologists or mental health therapists, even if they don't have dietitian, that's a great door to walk through also. If you're out there in the community and you're more like an adult athlete or a recreational or you're a competitive running club, you can go to the website for the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. It's eatright.org. And on their landing page is a search engine for find an expert. And you can put in your zip code and you can search by specialty for sports nutrition, eating disorders, GI disturbances, whatever you're looking for. And it will give you the names and contact information and websites for dieticians that meet the criteria within like a 20 mile radius of your zip code. So that's a great resource, but don't suffer in silence and don't wait until your body falls apart or something devastating happens. If you're concerned or you see warning signs and you know, a teammate or someone that you care about, act on that. Don't be afraid to say something. You wanna tell the person that you care and that you're really concerned about them and just stay very focused on what you've noticed and what you observe. Try not to make those comments about their weight and try to make it more about like, you know, I've noticed you seem really sad lately or I notice when, you, you know, you show up for practice, you just seem like you're really wiped out and exhausted. Like what's going on? And just try to without diagnosing them or accusing them of anything. Just say that you're noticing that they might be having a hard time and see if they'll open up to you. Because we have to connect people to help. We need to destigmatize mental health, and we also need to destigmatize eating disorders and say, you know what? These situations happen to athletes, and there's help available. Because that's the biggest thing is that people oftentimes think I'm the only one. Like, what's wrong with me? You know, I can't control myself. My body is broken. My metabolism isn't working. And they have no idea that what they're dealing with is actually really quite common. And they just need a professional to help them work through it. The other thing we know about males is that males with eating disorders, by the time they get into treatment, because they delay so long and because it's so undetected and misunderstood, By the time they get into treatment, they are sicker than females and they have a higher mortality rate because people die from eating disorders. Part of it is, you know, the physiologic way that it compromises every organ system in your body, including your heart, for example. But people also die from suicide because it compromises your mental well-being. And we can't wait for people to die before we start paying attention to this. And so the key is early identification and referral and early intervention. It's absolutely essential. And I think key is
0: that it's very common Mm -hmm. and find someone that you trust.
2: Yeah, help is available. There's a lot of resources to help.
0: Well, I can't thank the both of you. I can't thank you, David, for sharing that story. That is so moving. And Dr. Paula, you are just ridiculously fabulous for doing this. So I want to thank the both of you for being on Spot On.
2: Thank you, Joan. Always a pleasure to share a microphone with David. Thank you very much for having us.
0: On is supported by the Boston University Sargent College's Master of Science degree in nutrition program. Log on to bu.edu to learn more about this fabulous nutrition graduate program. Thank you for listening to Spot On. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This way you'll get every new episode every week. And by the way, leave us a nice review. And can you also like us on our Spot On Facebook page and suggest topics for future episodes? Please follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Joan Blake. And oh, by the way, can you send this episode to five of your friends? Do I ask? Ask a lot of you.